Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Coral Chihuahua. <laughs> Other second inversion chords. Other second inversion chords. Staying alive. Staying alive. Oh, Eamon, you're not, you, come on. <laughs> I'm Harry Christopher's, and along with Eamon Dugan, who's just laughed there, and Robert Hollingworth, who's just uh, reprimanded him, we're going to talk about touring. During this COVID-19 pandemic, tours seem just a distant memory and something that's going to take some time to return. Anyway, greetings, Eamon. Uh, hello, Harry. Nice to hear from you. Greetings, Robert. Good to be back. So, the joy of touring... All those amazing cities, countries and cultures. Pretty idyllic. Well, most of the time. We'll talk about those early starts, the late nights, sundry airports, missing luggage, long coach journeys, how <laughs> things have changed over the years. 40 in my case, but uh, um, I think for you two spring chickens, it's probably more like 20. Are tours financially viable? In fact, why do we tour? Well, there's the concerts, the camaraderie, the food, and the drink. Lots of memories, lots of anecdotes. And on that note, Robert, I'm sure you've got a plethora. Well, you say 20, it's more like 35. But I, I, I remember one occasion in Hong Kong in 95, which was the big Purcell anniversary, 400th year, year of Purcell's death. And the British Council sent us out to uh, Hong Kong and we did some lovely concerts, strings and voices. And it wouldn't have been the ambassador, but some important person from Hong Kong, the British something, came backstage immediately afterwards and the the beautiful concert there is is by a port uh, i don't know if that's relevant but it was the excuse offered to me at the time because when i went back into my changing room i turned the light on and the floor was brown and in about a third of a second it was white and basically 4,000 cockroaches that had covered the floor just shot to the side of the room. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I, I and my wife screamed, and I had to go out wearing, because uh, I'd taken most of my clothes off because it was so hot and sweaty, and, uh, and went out to meet the British ambassador, who it was, with basically a vest on and not very much else, because I, was, <laughs> I wasn't going back in that room. Oh, anyway, Lord. I don't know whether that helps. Um, uh, <laughs> our first track today is nothing to do with that, but I haven't told Eamon what it's going to be. Uh, Eamon, I would like your... Uh, you can back anno this one. You can tell us what these first 
few sounds do to your nervous system. Do you know, it's quite a while since I've heard that, but the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up uh, and I'm feeling slightly breathless and got a <laughs> slight feeling of rising panic. Um, that is the first of the Madrigals from Monteverdi's fourth book, uh, Adolente Partita. And that, that part of the, the... Well, go on, tell us, tell us why, though. <laughs> well, OK, so um, that takes me straight back uh, to New York, actually, um, and it's the opening... Uh, magical of the, our show, The Full Monteverdi, uh, which I was lucky enough to be part of, sang over over 30 performances of it. Um, oh, crikey, Robert, it's taken my breath away. I'll let you pick it up, actually. Well, the, the <laughs> thing is, the thing about Full Monteverdi is that it was set, this was John Labouchardier's concept, it was set in a restaurant where he imagined people having the same sort of, where they might share the same text, the same thoughts at the same time, but completely separately. So there was you with your acting partner and five other singers and acting partners completely separated from each other. Um, and uh, th the dinner would go on for 20, 30 minutes before anyone sang anything. And so the, you talk about the rising panic. It was terrifying for John and me, and we weren't even in it. And people were having their dinner, and then suddenly there would be this... Um, and this show isn't about isn't about that. Uh, sorry, this um, program isn't about that. But it is a piece that we did eighty eight times, uh, and still those opening bees sung by Anna and the other soprano uh, Claire, who had to pick up that uh, after half hour with no warning, apart from the fact that Anna would just have gone to the toilet as a sort of three minute warning, uh, was something we did all over the world, and it was terrifying each time. All that touring that we used to do years ago. I mean. Things have changed quite a lot, I think. I mean, Robert, just earlier on, you mentioned the British Council. Well, I remember going to Brazil, courtesy of uh, 
a couture and glaze are the same sort of thing there. And, uh, you know, money is just dried up on, on that front. Um, so, you know, in the old days, we'd probably do two, three week tours, but that's a much, pretty much a thing of the past, isn't it? I think so. Uh, money is, I mean, we had to be so much more creative about it, but there was there was money for touring with promoters that had money to, to pay us. There were the big Spanish banks that had to spend a certain mm. amount of their their, their uh, profit on cultural things. So they built in concert halls to the bank. You know, if you knew which door to go through, like Mr. Ben, you would suddenly find yourself in a concert hall and not the, uh, uh, not the ATM area. Um, but the, the, there isn't that generally anymore, except in places like Germany, where they're really, really serious about classical music. But even France has, has, uh, has been uh, affected by this. And it, it, uh, but yeah, we were doing long tours. We would do little trips. I mean, gosh, the, the thing that we all know is the getting up at four o'clock in the morning to be at Heathrow early enough to wait for two hours for check-in to get on a plane, then to be met by a minibus where you might travel for an hour and a half or longer, then to have some sort of rehearsal in the extreme heat somewhere, uh, then to grab some food down you, and then to do a concert that was meant to start at nine, but because it was Spain, it started at quarter to ten, and you, which for you was quarter to goodness knows what. And by you were still meant to be on the top of your professional form at that stage. Yeah, you've said it all. So I mean, why why do we why do we do them? I mean, you know, most of the time they're fun to do. Um, usually they're not necessarily financially that profitable, if if at all. Um, so why do we do them? Well, I mean, it's it's obviously it's partly about promoting the brand, isn't it? About promoting your group. Um, but, you know, there's more to it. I, I've often found that, uh, you know, the development of a group, the musical development ha- seems to happen more intensively if you're on a tour. It's partly mm. um, if you're doing, you know, if you're doing the same programme, um, you know, over consecutive nights to do it, you know, five times in a row, different to the, to the choral pilgrimage, um, you know, that intensive work on on particular pieces. Um, and that goes hand in hand with, um, you know, living that bit closer, you know, to each other, you know, eating together, socialising together, mm-hmm. travelling together. Of course, it, it, it develops the, um, you know, the camaraderie of the group. And that then feeds into, you know, I think more fluent uh, and natural performances. You've actually got it there. I mean, it's all about, you know, sort of improving the camaraderie of the group. When I first went to Boston with the Handel and Haydn Society, um, I said to the management there, look, we need to, you know, once once I got the orchestra and chorus in the shape that I got them into, obviously it was about two years after I started, I said to the CEO, I said, look, we need to do a tour. And they said, why? Because it's going to cost so much money. And I said, we need to bond this orchestra and this chorus. We need to get them away from their daily routine of lives and we need to go off to the west coast and do a tour we did a tour i think it was of jephthah handles jephthah and it was fantastic suddenly you know everybody was bonding and people were realizing that you know there were real personalities in that group and i think that's and it's of course it's crucial to small groups like our like like fadge and and the 16 isn't it but yeah but you you've done it with i mean you've you've taught messiah a lot yeah yes oh my god as god knows how many performances of messiah and those you know tours used to be really long and of course if you've mentioned earlier robert you know spain was a sort of second home for most of us i remember doing a tour it was back in actually december 1987 and it was 11 messiahs in 13 days but it wasn't just in one country i remember we went from oxford to london via barcelona and then we had five more in Italy, ending up in the beautiful city of Padua. I, I lost a, I lost a stone, and I'm not a pretty, I'm not a 
big guy really uh, but it was in- incredible and as you said before you know those concerts in Italy would start if you're lucky at nine o'clock in the evening the last quarter of the Amen Chorus would come down just after midnight. And I remember in Padua, you know, the doors opened to this lovely cathedral and there was mist outside in the lights. It was magical. And of course, we lapped it up. We didn't mind, we didn't mind how knackered we were because the performances were great. They were packed out and it was just great fun. <laughs>
So that was Four Unto Us, A Child Is Born, from Part One of Messiah. Uh, that's the 16 Choir and Orchestra, uh, with me at the helm. Uh, great days performing Messiah, and, and we still do it a lot these days, but uh, nowhere near uh, 11 Messiahs in 13 days. Did the, intri- we... did the instruments, Harry, always turn up? I mean, because <laughs> flying with instruments is an education. It certainly is. I mean, there was one classic tour of, actually, we were doing Christmas Oratorio and Messiah, and we were with Iberia and leaving Heathrow and somebody in the orchestra, we're taxiing off and somebody in the orchestra spotted the timps on the runway. <laughs> uh, they hadn't been put into the hold. And, they, and I said, oh, don't bother, it's Messiah tonight. And then somebody said, no, it's not, it's Christmas Oratorio. And uh, we couldn't really do without them. So Which everybody is- stood up. And the stewardesses coming down, so sit down and no, we all stood up and the plane had to taxi back and pick up the timps. Oh, great, respect. great moment. Yeah, respect. absolutely. Because <laughs> it starts, doesn't it, with boom, 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 boom. It certainly boom, does. Boom. Yeah. So it would have been a bit of disaster. Mind you, we could probably Eddie, Eddie playing it on his seat or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, so touring is full of if, eventualities, isn't it? Um, I mean, one thing, though, I mean, I, and I'd love to ask you, Eamon, this, because what about the wear and tear physically and vocally. I mean, a lot of it is obviously on bigger tours is sometimes self-inflicted, dare I say, and we all enjoy that part. But actually that fact of going into a different time zone, having to adjust very quickly, your body clock is telling you you're you're 11 hours out. What's it like? Yeah, well, uh, do you know, it's it's great fun. I'm going to say that it's great fun when you're young, um, mm. and then uh, I've I've always I always used to really relish the challenge of the early start and uh, you know and then maybe the concert you know many hours later and just trying to make sure that you as Robert said you're on top of your game uh, and absolutely delivering you know to the best standard. I loved the the challenge of that. You um, didn't like the early start, did you? No, no, no. I didn't like the early no, start. No. But I enjoyed the challenge of making <laughs> sure that you know that you could still do the job at the end of the day. I mean, it is extraordinarily physically demanding. Um, you know, singers, we are always at our best when we <laughs> when we've had enough sleep. Uh, and of course, as you say, sometimes we don't get enough sleep either because of the schedule, or sometimes, as you say, it is self inflicted. Um, you know, there's there are lots of elements that come into play. Air conditioning you know, can be a real problem for us. And especially if you're in a hotel room where you can't open the windows, as seems to be increasingly the case nowadays, and the aircon is on, you know, perpetually in your room. Um, it, you know, you've got to sort of try and work around that. But I think, you know, nowadays, there used to be a certain sort of romance to touring. I think, you know, my, my mother would I remember her saying to me a few years back, Eamon, the romance has gone out of air travel now. And <laughs> I think, you know, the romance went out of air travel many years ago. But as Robert said, you know, in the old days, you used to travel and then you might have a, a rest day or they'd fly you out early enough that there was plenty of time. But now it's airport, coach, hotel, venue, hotel, coach, airport, often, you know, in quite a sort of brutal process like that. So when, you know, talking to, to friends who aren't in the music profession, they say, oh, you know, it's great that you get to see all these places. You, say, well, you know, I've just been yeah. to Rome and literally I saw the inside of my hotel room and the venue. And that was yeah. that was pretty much it. That, that's that's it's yeah, it's, it's brutal like that. But those wonderful occasions when you're not getting up early in the morning and you've only got a couple of hours to travel by bus or something, those feel like luxuries. And you're so much more, you know, vocally 
uh, and emotionally in a position to do a concert because we can all do one night like that but trying to do the same the next day is too much and those those american tours can be exhausting like that because it's everywhere by plane people used to complain about the um, the long coach journeys that we'd undertake in spain but i used to love those because it was a chance to to sit down and you know listen to some music and read a good book play cards whatever it might be but there was a it was a sort of restful element to it actually that i found that that meant that i was hopefully still in good form you know when we got to the venue yes we used to think uh you know madrid airport you know it was this we spent more hours sitting in there waiting for connections so you're quite right about the old um, uh, bus journeys and which was so much more preferable well, well always am... always remembering always remembering just as a in parenthesis the robin blaze experience of getting to a madrid airport on the minibus being taken as a soloist to somewhere down the motorway hour and a half turns out the driver had gone the wrong way from the beginning oh no oh my god <laughs> it's terrible isn't it now look we we We've all had the call of shame at some stage. I think this is the time for someone to own up. Let's start with you, Robert. Well, uh, again, I'm just aware people listen to this. This whole idea of touring may be very unusual to them because, you know, they don't see what we do abroad. And when choirs come over to the UK, if, if a, a UK listener, these are small distances and it's it's not a big thing. But the call of shame, in case people don't know what it is, is getting a call at five o'clock in that morning when your entire company is on the bus waiting to go and you've slept through your alarm. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's ever happened to me because as a director, you just can't. And I think touring is essentially is fundamentally different from directors than it is for uh, for regular players, because you're just under pressure to be in control of the whole thing the whole time. But Eamon, I'm sure you've had the odd call of shame. Well, do you know, interestingly, not very many. And because on my very first tour as a student, uh, this is when I was at, at New College, the very first tour, I got the call of shame. And there's little more terrifying than being woken up uh, and to hear Edward Higginbottom's voice saying, we're on the bus, we're leaving, you've got two minutes. Um, and it was from this point I learned that the first rule of touring is always pack the night before. So it doesn't matter what time you get to you get to back to your room and are going to bed, make sure you pack because then if you do get that call, you can just get out of the room straight away. I managed to leave behind my shoes, my trousers, my shirts, wash bag, you know, basically all my concert kit uh, was was left behind because it was just run out, you know, grab your passport and leg it basically because he was going to leave without it. And, and a so, word for um, a word for Anna Crooks here, Anna Anna Markland, soprano in Fagiolini, who I don't think has ever had a call of shame, but she has managed to leave most of her concert equipment in various bars and <laughs> uh, and indeed Nicholas Mulroy, who performed an evangelist once with uh, two left shoes, and also. Also, the trousers of the waiter in the restaurant because he hadn't bought his black trousers. <laughs> but it's not always their fault. I remember once with the 16, we were doing a concert in Istanbul. Um, uh, and uh, uh, the concert, bizarrely enough, was sponsored by British Airways. We flew out British Airways and British Airways lost two lots of luggage, uh, only two. Uh, but they just happened to be the luggage of the two tallest people in the group. One was Simon Birchall, who's a good six, six foot six, I think. And uh, if you've ever been to Turkey, um, the general height of, of people is not maybe quite as tall as, uh, as six foot seven. So the hunt by the, uh, uh, our tour manager for, for tales for those people was hilarious. And on Simon Birchall, it sort of uh, it was well up his arm. It was a wonderful <laughs> flight. So, Eamon, look... Another piece of music. 
Yes. So um, I have very fond memories of my first a cappella tour with the 16, which was two weeks in the States. Um, wonderfully happy time and introduced me to one of my all-time favourite pieces of Talis. This is Susipe Quezo. Listen, Lord, to the voice of one who confesses. My wickedness I do not defend. I have sinned.
that was Talis's sublime motet, Sushipe Queso, um, the choir often used to call it suspect cheese. Um, I don't know where that came from. Um, so, so you mentioned that tour of the US. Actually, the very first tour the 16 did of the US was, was one of those which was, it was a long tour. And we didn't have any manager with us. Uh, we flew also. We went. We actually started in Vancouver. We went to Seattle, San Francisco. The, the weather changes were incredible. Uh, one moment snow, the next moment day blazing sun. And we were totally self-sufficient, not an administrator in sight. And everybody in the choir had a job to do. Um, and the one thing I do remember from this, we had Robin Jeffrey with us, who was a, um, who played the uh, lute on that occasion, but he also had a little tambourine. And that tambourine was left uh, at the very first venue. And it followed us around, never quite meeting the next venue <laughs> until we had a day off in New York and it finally arrived for the last concert. Uh, but lovely days. But you know, we talked about the sort of, you know, the call of shame and, 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 the, and, and the sort of early starts. Tours can be pretty wonderful, though, can't they, Robert? Yes, my favourite touring is, is Australia, really. It's, there's no customs thing to do every time. I mean, even once you're in the States, it seems to be extraordinarily complicated to get on a, on a plane again. Um, and if you're travelling, as we sometimes do, with, with masks and uh, uh, lutes and things, uh, it, can, it can be pretty unpleasant. But, but Australia is just lovely. And we were always, this is with Music Aviva, and we were taken to the airport. And it was tremendously simple, and nothing seemed to be too far from the airport. And... The weather was lovely and the coffee is magnificent. And we were doing the same program. It takes back to Eamon, what Eamon was saying about you can really get into some of these pieces fantastically well. Um, and that was just that was just an extremely nice, uh, nice way to work and a, a really good way to, to get repertoire deep into uh, deep into the, the psyche. It can occasionally be a repertoire that's really quite unusual. We did a tour back in uh, 1992 of Brazil where we took first-generation Brazilian music, so composers that were born and bred in Brazil, and uh, to all sorts of places, all sorts of wonderful communities, San Jao del Rey, Tiradentes, and it was all sponsored by the Cultura Inglesa over there. And we had a constant Brasilia in the Blue Church in Brasilia, which was packed out uh, children aged you know three or four to to aged grandmothers and grandfathers it was quite amazing and when we got into the minas district of, of brazil we had the town bound out playing from us you know the the enthusiasm of, of a british group coming over to perform their music to them was just quite staggering and uh, it was really 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 great fun and, and actually one of the other hilarious things about that is tour is that we seemed to be followed round every every main venue we went to. We were in the same hotel as Black Sabbath. That's quite fun. <laughs> natural, natural companions. Absolutely. You're, you're one of the few groups, Harry, that um, the sixteen that, that actually really tours the UK. Yes, I mean that. You know that was a decision in two thousand. Really, you know we'd we'd seen the you know the sort of gradual collapse of touring. Um, uh, it becoming more and more difficult financially. So we just decided in 2000 that we should tour the UK. Um, and actually, that was also part and parcel of the, of the collapse of the of the, the sort of classical uh, recording industry, really, that, uh, you know, all these pop groups have been touring, you know, they they've done an album and they tour it. And so we thought, hang on, we're missing a trick here. We need to tour the UK and uh, 
with a with a same program every venue and sell the CDs. But for us, I mean, Eamon, you remember these so well. We're still doing them every year. I mean, we all realised how little we knew of our own country. Uh, you know, going to places like Southminster, Tewkesbury. I'd never been to Tewkesbury before. Carlisle, Lancaster. Uh, the, the cities can go on, and it's fantastic. Amazing communities. Yeah, a complete revelation to to visit these places, as you say, and and you know it really brings home just how rich uh, the the cultural heritage is of this country and architecturally how varied it is. You know, last year I was lucky enough to conduct the group in Ripon Cathedral. It had always had a slightly sort of mythical status in my mind because I remember after a particularly poor Evensong uh, when I was a student. Uh, Edward Higginbottom walked out through the vestry and turned around to us and said, transfer to Ripon, anybody? Um, and so I'd always thought it was this, you know, <laughs> I'd never seen it. It's the most wonderfully beautiful and extraordinary cathedral. Um, and I think as we as we go to these places each year now, you develop uh, a kind of emotional connection to them. And as you say, I really look forward to visiting and revisiting uh, particular places Tewkesbury Abbey, which Tewkesbury Abbey, which is I think probably my favourite building to sing in, but for me, each year going to uh, the Liverpool Metropolitan Cathedral, uh, it it's almost feels. I mean, it is a pilgrimage, but it's it's become like a personal pilgrimage as well. And I always make sure that I get to the venue um, really early for the rehearsal and uh, and enjoy and soak up the atmosphere. It is, and it's all about those phenomenal communities, and it's it's very very special. But I think one of the lovely things about doing the choral pilgrimage has been that we can take music that's not necessarily our principal repertoire and perform it all around the country, introducing people to to music they'd never heard before, and actually in some cases music that they would normally resist listening to. And uh, we did one tour a couple of years ago of. Um, Britain's sacred to profane. And I think a lot of the audience were quite wary about it. But at the end of the concert, it was that that they came out talking about.
That's sounding very familiar to me because shout out here for my um, master's group at the University of York. They just performed that in their finals recital, which given COVID-19 is quite something. They were two metres apart each and they performed the whole set and Jesu Meine Freude off by heart. And wow. really lovely, characterful performance. That was the first movement of Britain's Sacred Mofane, Santa Maria Virginia, uh, sung by the 16. And it was our choral pilgrimage a couple of years ago. One, one aspect of touring, which we haven't yet sort of dealt with, is, is actually taking repertoire that's uh, not sort of been heard of in the country we're going to. So, you know, I'd love to know what, you know, you feel about audience reactions to, to say, the music of uh, the Renaissance in Japan or, or wherever. Uh, Robert, you must have taken some interesting programmes. Yes, I've not done the Far East that much, but I did do a tour in 96 to China, a British Council tour. And what I remembered... Uh, is the doors opening and literally screaming kids, teenagers running into the room to have access to this strange early music group singing Flanders and Swan uh, and other things at them. Uh, that wasn't Monteverdi so much, but we did sing we did sing Flanders and Swan's Pillar to Post, which is about a pillar box. And I managed to find a cultural connection because all the bins were basically dragons with their mouths open. And I sort of, you know, aped this sort of open mouth thing like a pillar box. And they seemed to think that was terribly funny, but then they seemed to think everything we did was terribly funny, including a, a piece called Gao Gao Shang Nyang Wen Yur Aya, and, uh, excuse my Sichuan accent, and Matthew Brook and Nicholas Smith had a phrase in the middle, Nyang Wen Yur, Yang Wen Yur, Nyang Wen Yur, and it's the er sound that the singers we find very peculiar. And it corpsed the entire audience, including us, and we had to stop and do something else. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. There was one time, actually, when I was in the BBC Singers, there was a legendary um, uh, anecdote uh, that was, it was about, must have happened about three or four years before I joined the Singers. They'd gone on a tour of the, of the Middle East and uh, they'd gone to some university and the university was absolutely, the constable was packed to the rafters. Young people just queuing and queuing and queuing and, and sort of squashing into this venue. And uh, when the BBC Singers started, this big sort of sigh of disappointment because apparently they were expecting the Bee Gees. <laughs> I expect the Bee Gees have a similar problem. When they are. <laughs> but we've talked, I mean, we talked earlier about Spain and how that Spain was our second home. And I think it was the second home for most early music groups. And you mentioned earlier, Robert, about the foundation banks that, of course, had to give a percentage of their uh, profits to the arts. And that's what it made it possible. And of course, we went on numerous tours to all over Spain, courtesy of Calle Madrid, the foundation bank there. The most memorable one was uh, when we did something like eight performances of Mozart's C minor mass, all paid for by by the Calle Madrid, and and uh, all free to the public. So much so that in Oviedo uh, we got onto the Classic of M and Radio Three News because there was a riot outside Oviedo Cathedral because uh, um, people wanted to get tickets for the 16's performance so the 16 caused a riot um, there which is lovely memorable Blimey. but of course disaster hit in 2008 with a global financial crisis and one of the biggest countries that hit certainly for the arts and touring was was uh, was Spain because gone went the foundation banks I think the only one Correct me if I'm wrong. I think the only one left is uh, Barcelona's Fundacio La Caixa, mm. uh, which still does its community messiahs. So it's it's, I mean, is is it gradually coming back? What 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 do you guys feel? I don't know if I'm in the best 
position to uh, to know. There are a lot of young groups out there. Eamon said touring is a young a young man, young woman's game. Um, uh, I think the other thing we have to accept is that back in the eighties and nineties, there were nothing like the number of groups around that there are now, both in this country, but more interestingly abroad. Now, Spain has its own very good groups now. Um, mm. And while a cappella singing is still something that the Brits are fantastically good at, there are very good groups in France, of course, in Germany, uh, in Austria, everywhere. So, you know, the competition is is considerably uh, stiffer now, but I don't think it's coming back in, in quite the same way. And the, the margins simply aren't there. And the trouble is that, you know, it's the musicians that are being asked to take the risk. So now with COVID-19, we're being asked to sign contracts, not even contracts, just saying, well, of course, if if there's lockdown again or if there's some other thing that gets in the way, we wouldn't be able to honour this, you know, no question of a contract or anything. So it's 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 scary times now. How long it'll carry on, I don't know. But still, just short trips over, uh, mould a group, uh, as you said, and they also provide experiences that, that you will never forget. The sound, for example, on a stage in Hungary of... Uh, uh, not Elichio Quintero, no putting her foot through Eligio's lute. That's a sound I will never I will never forget. Um, because A, you're tired, and B, you're carrying a load of set with you. I mean, in our Comedia dell'arte shows, for example, there were always things lying on the floor. Uh, you're, you're walking on a knife edge a lot of time because everything has to be right, and that produces a lot of, a lot of pressure in the way it doesn't when you're touring in the UK in the same way. One thing that we just... You talk about you know, memorable experiences. One of the great opportunities that touring can provide is to, is to perform music in the venues that it was written for. So, like you know, performing Victoria in Spain, or um, I remember singing Palestrina in Rome in one of the churches that where Palestrina was Maestro di Capella, and even on the choral pilgrimage, you know, performing some of the great votive antiphons in in Peterborough Cathedral uh, with Catherine of Aragon buried there, or, or, or York Minster. I think that's for me, that's always been something which is really special. And, uh, you know, I relish those opportunities when they present themselves. Yeah, and actually also then go into a country and singing something of, of their music. I mean, it's a bit like Coles to Newcastle. I remember we were invited once to go to the uh, uh, to Moscow to uh, Gergiev's festival there. And uh, I thought, great, we'd take some, some wonderful English Renaissance music over there. But no, they wanted... Uh, Rachmaninoff, uh, Chestnikov, they wanted all that. And I said, no way, how can we possibly perform uh, Russian to you guys who have looked up to stupid? No, no, please, please, we want we want to have you. We want to hear how it uh, sounds. We want to hear it in tune. And in the end, we, we sort of succumbed and lo and behold, went over there and were performing in the driest theatre possible. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, yes. we weren't allowed to perform in cathedrals. But having said that, there, there are also... There are lovely, lovely moments. Like when we went to China last, um, we decided as an encore to do um, a very popular Chinese folk song. And again, a bit like Coles to Newcastle, this. And uh, we had a, a Mandarin coach uh, train us through it. Um, what was the title of it, Naaman, by the way? It was, it's called Zana Yayang Dadifang, which means in a faraway place. In your face, Harry. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs>
it is the things that go wrong and the things that are spectacularly right that you remember about tours. I seem to remember getting horribly ill on occasions. We did a wonderful British Council trip to Morocco once and I was sent out there first to check the venues and they actually thought I was going to die. I was so ill in a room with food poisoning. Apparently, I discovered later. Um, and uh, actually, uh, next week's guest, Roderick Williams, touring with him back in the early 90s and going for a curry with David Fallows uh, after a concert in Manchester and then being so ill and having to travel, though, because you had to get to the next concert and being sick in Roddy's car and the bag had holes in it. and Oh, just oh, horrendous, horrendous experiences of... Of of trying to get through the day and contractually, what's there? Contractually obliged, do everything that was, you know, make sure that you, you weren't letting your colleagues down. Interesting cultural differences uh, that that one encounters. I remember a, a tour that we did, Robert, uh, to Cairo uh, when we were uh, performing at, at the book fair, and in the second concert, this extraordinary uh, experience where during the first piece, and this is no exaggeration at all. A photographer leapt up onto the stage and started taking photos while the performance was singing uh, on on the stage. And then <laughs> during, during one of the pieces, uh, somebody's phone rang in the audience and the guy took the call and proceeded to have the conversation while we were performing. Not only that, you, he, he put his feet up on the chair in front of him and then carried on while uh, the piece finished and you started your next introduction. Uh, and in the end, I think you, you just stopped talking and waited until he uh, looked up at you. And you said, uh, I think it's time to finish that call now, don't you? And he, said, I... he looked absolutely furious, but did eventually. Put there, were, there were only six people in the room apart from us, though, we should say. So he possibly <laughs> thought it was a rehearsal or something. Oh, well, indeed, maybe. But there was also there were the cleaning ladies who appeared about halfway through the programme and hey. kept on popping their head out from behind the screens and just squealing with laughter every time they looked at us. Just, that was, yeah, well, different world. You. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a quick fire question to you both. F- favorite Favourite city in the world? Oh, oh, crikey. Um, Rome. Madrid. Madrid. Favourite meal? Oh, tapas in Madrid. Yeah, tapas in Barcelona. All right. Shabu shabu for me in Japan, in Tokyo. Mm. I loved all... I mean, I love... Go, I mean, we don't haven't been to Japan for years and years, but I just loved those tours we did. Introduced uh, the wonderful agent of Gawasan, uh, whose agency was called Presto, I think, uh, and, but we called him Prestissimo because he was he just used to walk so fast, we never caught up with him. But he took us out for wonderful meals, you know, shabu-shabu, Kobe beef, uh, yakitori restaurants. It was just brilliant. Seafood. See, I mean, you, we talk... I mean, on those when we started the program, Harry, we were talking about how there's just never time, and you regularly end up having, especially in, in Spain, a meal after a concert into the early hours of the morning, uh, because that's the only time you can actually stop and appreciate, and you know you're high on adrenaline after the concert. But some of those some of those meals after concerts, especially with good seafood, Tarragona actually with that fantastic seafood market, uh, those are those are those are. Things I really relish. I think if you were to ask nearly any singer, though, who who works at all, what their number one priority is, it's always food. It's like, food. when is the next meal? Where are we going to get it? Is there going to be time to have it? Uh, and you know, will there be, uh, you know, a copious number of bars and restaurants that we can, uh, yeah. yeah, get food in? Absolutely. Lovely chatting to you both, but uh, we're now reaching the end of this episode. Um, Robert, would you just like to uh, close us for this? 
Yes, it takes me to, to two of my loves, three of my loves. Amongst my loves, it takes me to uh, uh, touring the UK, <laughs> so not having to get on a plane. Also going to Australia, which I, as I already mentioned, I loved. Back in 2012, 12, we did a project with a Brisbane-based circus company called Circa. Uh, and it was one of those Jackson Pollock projects where someone has put you together. They say, we want Fagellini to do a project with Circa, but we haven't a clue what it is, uh, which was terrifying because instead of a nice six-week rehearsal period, we had a day and a half to make something. Um, and it sort of evolved after a while. And we ended up bringing it to UK cathedrals and doing it as part of the 2012 Cultural Olympiad. And it was called How Like an Angel. And I saw the whole thing finishing with the end of the Talis Gaudi Glorioso, which I absolutely love, of course, as, as do we all. Um, and I commissioned a piece to feed into that by Adrian Williams, a composer we worked with a lot over the years. Uh, and when the piece came through, it was so apparent to me that it had to be the end of the concert that I ditched the Talis and we just did the beginning of it. Uh, and we finished with this. And what you have to imagine while this extraordinary piece is being sung, which is about... Uh, original thought. It keeps going back to the words uh, before there was a word for cathedral and there was, orig was original thought. Um, and you have to imagine two or three extraordinarily beautiful and fit Australian acrobats doing a Chinese pole routine around us as we sang. Uh, in the middle of us, there was a pole tied down uh, at one end of a cathedral, you know, with light maybe coming in through the, for the west window. Uh, and they ran up, ran up and down it as if gravity uh, didn't matter. Uh, and the thing finishes with this extraordinary chord with uh, everyone on their highest note, Anna on the top D, tenors on A's, basses on E's and F's. As the two guy, one of them at the bottom holding onto it and the other just drops down, the other one propels himself out and back, and back again as the other passes him and the other catches himself on his own thighs. Uh, to, all to the music of the, the second half we'll hear here of Adrian Williams's Hymn to All. Father's house was a great original forest. 
Choral Chihuahua is brought to you by E. Fagellini and the Sixteen and produced by Perseus, the Sixteen and Polyphonic Films. It's supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, please contact us through either ensemble. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or, if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via choralchihuahua.com. Thanks. <laughs>